0: we're telling the name
1: of game boy.
0: We call it Rod the Wave and Drake! Cable okay, well, Smith, welcome everybody into episode 31. Justified pursuit, alongside as always, my friend, my co-host, the good counselor Chisholm Cook. How in the world are you today, my friend? Uh, as we talked about, uh, under the weather, which you are too. Um, but I don't have the vid. Uh, you might, who knows? But you're not uh, tested. So If it is, if it
1: if it is COVID, then it's. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: I, I'm I'm not going to be dying from it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I think you know we had this cold front hit last week. It came. Hit the whole continental U.S. really, and like I had a I had some guys in South Dakota Monday of last week, and it was 27 degrees there. And um, that day, I talked to a buddy in Oklahoma, and he had I mean, he sounded like crap. And I was like, "What's wrong with you?" And he's like, "Man, this front hit over the weekend. I was working in the yard, and I feel like crap." And then I talked to a guy between here and there on Tuesday, and he felt like crap. And then the next day, my crew felt like crap, but it's uh, it's not getting any better. Yeah, that's the part that sucks. I got a headache, but. Mm. Other than that, life is peachy. Uh, Pumped about episode 31. That's always, I wore that number in high school for a bit. And uh, Ashley and I consider 13 our lucky number. We got married on the 13th. Oh, yeah. Hang on. I don't know if I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't at all refer to them as my glory days. I was uh, not the stellar athlete that I am now in those days. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, 31 is 31 slash 13. Any combination of those two numbers is uh, it's got to mean we're going to have a hell of a show despite the headaches. And it's yeah. not.
0: Well, that stuff's going around. My kids had like the girls have asthma, so I thought it was just asthma. And then like two days later uh, they had, well, they had a flare up. They're having to use like their uh, breathing treatment before bed. And then like two days later, I had a sore throat and I've been like congested for, I don't know, almost a week. And then Three days later, Aaron was like, my throat feels like there's razor blades in it. I was like, well, you know, it's not COVID, so it's just a cold. Those still exist. <laughs>
1: well, that's the funny thing is I've talked to a few people, you know, with my company and everything this week, and that's kind of the same thing everybody else is saying. Oh, yeah, we had a cold run through. Yeah, there's still uh,
0: just regular old bugs out there. Notice I'm drinking Not Topo Chico. This is a uh, signature select, so I guess that's like one of the uh, big chains, like in-house Brand. Oh, look at that! He's drinking H E B brand Little sparkling H-E-B black brand. cherry. I've Which got is the not berry is flavor. Fine. Yeah, <sighs> but uh, don't expect it to last. The fizzy to last as long, right? Or be as good. So we're settling, but we're making a point to do that. So, um, <clears throat> what's on the docket for today? Let's start off with the uh, Supreme Court. And what I don't know when the last time they ever ruled nine zero on something, but uh, we talked a lot about the. Um, warrantless basically search or seizure home entry when um what was the girl's name that was killed that made uh oh um what was her name supposed to remember her name um (laughs) yeah sorry lebron uh but everyone that was
1: that one that one was a bad one right yeah we we talked
0: a lot about it how we were both on the same brianna brianna taylor Brianna taylor there you go yeah um yeah they shouldn't have been able to enter her house um and then if you fire back at someone kicking in your door then you're liable for that like when they come in unannounced you don't know that it's the cops there's someone just kicking your door in
1: it creates massive potential for major confrontation between police and people who are
0: yeah so we both agreed uh that we didn't i mean we thought that needed reform and wasn't it uh wasn't it senator scott from south carolina that was talking about a lot about that as well uh,
1: Rand paul in particular from oh, a senator from kentucky where that happened in louisville i mean he submitted and excuse me the uh, carbonation is getting to me <clears throat> he had uh submitted a bill can't remember what it's called but he actually tried to he, you know he's a staunch libertarian and doesn't mm-hmm. uh, believe that that concept is constitutional and so he submitted a bill to ban um no knock raids in particular uh, yeah. I think is, it was the, kind of the bugaboo there. And uh, if you'll recall, um, last summer's protesters surrounded and, and and you know, scared the wits out of he and his wife calling him fascist and all this stuff because, you know, they're completely ignorant to his politics. Mm-hmm. If anybody would listen to that man for five seconds, they would probably certainly if they believe in police reform, they they would realize he's actually on their side, at least so far as.
0: And so far as some level of reform is warranted as you and I agree. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. It was Tim Scott, Tim Scott, South Carolina. uh, I think also had a a lot to say. I think he tried to introduce some potential bills and they were just kind of like,
1: eh, I I do believe that, you know, he, he submitted the first bill early last summer, the one that Democrats quickly, uh, you know, swatted out to half court because they, right after the George Floyd thing. Right. So Brianna Taylor had come first, then George Floyd, so the Republicans moved and through Tim Scott submitted a bill in the Senate for comprehensive police reform. And yeah, you're right. I'm pretty sure no knock warrants was on the list, uh, you know, r- regulations on certain chokeholds and that sort of thing. And the Democrats were like, well, hell no, we can't even let your bill come to the floor for a debate, let alone a vote, because y'all are the racists and we can't let anybody think y'all actually want to work on this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um- so,
1: and then, of course, they call him Uncle Tim which is obviously, racist as hell. Yeah. Blue check Mark Twitter lefties uh, can yeah. get away with calling Tim Scott, uncle Tim uh, yeah. as a uh, you know, slight play on
0: uncle Tom. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, but,
1: but they're, but they're the ones that are the anti-racist.
0: Um, this wasn't on the run sheet for today, but what are your thoughts on, because I keep seeing all this stuff about, and people commenting on social media about Trump running again in 2024. Personally, I just want him to go away uh, I think it would be better for the conservative party. He, I think he did fine, but again, he's just too, he's too abrasive. He just rubs too many people the wrong way. We get these housewives, like I told you that the walk around my neighborhood in Biden shirts, well, that's because they don't like, they don't like the way that Trump acts, not because of his policy. Um, I don't know. I was just thinking about that. Like, I hope he does not run. Yeah. So do I, man. Um, to me,
1: it should be a slam dunk if this cluster F administration continues in the, yeah you know, in, in the matter manner that it has in its first hundred days. Um, and yeah, bringing Trump back would
0: <clears throat> don't, I, I, make the I, I country don't think more divided. Like, yeah. Uh,
1: you know, he, there are some important things that, that everybody should take away from his presidency. Um, But he provides so much ammunition to the hard left that it draws reasonable people that direction, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. We've talked about that extensively, loved ones of ours. Right. Yeah. Um, I feel like if he would just go away, then everybody from center left to, you know, a fairly decent direction to the right, as far as I'm concerned, could start having a reasonable conversation about, you know, What does America look like going into the 21st century? How do we treat the Constitution and that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. But he is so divisive and creates such a you know he's so revolting to fully half the country that he to me he he drives reasonable people into the arms of the democratic socialists Mm -hmm. and you know that that's not worth whatever good he brings to the table as far as I'm concerned. That being said, <clears throat> you know, as a consultant, Republican kingmaker, whatever, you know, maybe there's a role for him. But, you know, it also sort of highlights to me what has always been my number one problem with the man. He's an egomaniac.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. He to his credit, he knows that by dangling that out there, it's, you know, it's it's it's, it's his typical go to play. Right. Like, I don't know. We're, we're talking we're having some talks about that. We'll uh, give us a few. We got we got a big announcement in in a few weeks. We got a big, and then nothing ever comes Mm -hmm. right. He's doing this thing right now that just keeps him keeps people begging. He loves the attention, dude. He loves the spotlight. I mean, Mm -hmm. God, the guy used to show up at WWE wrestling matches and fight with Vince McMahon. You know, like (laughs) (laughs) yeah, this is this is par for the course for him, and it would certainly help everybody, in my opinion, uh, if they would take. <clears throat> take the lessons learned that, you know, PC culture, woke leftism, all that is, you know, a cancer, but, you know, it can be fought. Look at governor Ron DeSantis, look at governor Greg Abbott. I can sit here and name a number of people, uh, you know, in various positions across, look at Tim Scott, look at, uh, Rand Paul. Mm-hmm. There, there are, there are people ready to fight that fight who can do it in terms that don't uh... or grace,
0: that's right. Yeah, that's right. With, with um,
1: strength, right? But 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 yeah. just not. There's with,
0: without strength, all the strength is not something <laughs> Biden has exhibited uh, whatsoever. I mean, we we need to do a whole podcast on the mess on the border, dude. It's like I can't believe that they're just they pretend like it doesn't even exist. Like no one's oh, doing. No it, one's commenting. Oh, like yeah, Kamala Harris is the border czar, or, and she hasn't even been down there. Or what? oh she's a joke,
1: dude. She's, a, um, she's just trying to keep from getting in any trouble for the next 36 months until she's ready to run herself. Yeah. Like that, that's all there is to it. But I, you know, I, I, I know, you know, this, I think I've mentioned it on the show, but I i spent a summer in DC when I was in law school interning out there, we lived, there was a lady who was, uh, she was a member of the national it's called the energy bar associations, basically like attorneys mm-hmm. that specialize in energy policy stuff. And, uh, the, Internship I was with was, was through that group. So this lady sponsored us <clears throat> to stay at her house up in Chevy Chase, Maryland, just outside the district. And so we got to go to dinner. She hosted some dinner parties and like, you know, backyard barbecues on the weekends. And we got to go to some other stuff with her and uh, you know, dude, it, first of all, that scene is almost exactly what a caricature of it, you know, would be right. Like if you go to a backyard barbecue on a Friday evening inside the beltway, uh, you're going to just sit and talk politics with everybody there the whole time. like that they live it, breathe it, it's all that matters. Um, but to your point, n- not a single one of them had ever lived within you know three states of the border, let alone three hours like I grew up, and well, still live now. Um, you know, and you know where we hunt is thirty minutes thirty miles from the border, right? So you know, to listen to these people sitting in their quote ivory tower half a country away talking as if they have a clue about these matters was it was one of those moments. I'll always, this one, this one dinner party in particular will always, I'll always remember it as this one of these moments in my life where the scale started to fall. Right. I was a, as I've described, uh, a young, you know, idealistic, uh, quote liberal. And I heard these people talking like this and realized, you know, the uh, nobody out there <laughs> it's all it's all just ideology and, and no basis in reality on just about anything they're talking about in, in truth right they want to control things they believe that they are the smartest people in the country um they live in a bubble and you know kamila is a prime example of
0: it mm-hmm. um so we'll do a whole show on the border uh, there's so much to get into there but Back to, uh, we started off by saying that the nine zero Supreme Court vote, and then we kind of got off on a different direction there, which is fine. Um, but back to that. So they basically said uh, that they find it unconstitutional for warrantless, warrantless confiscation of firearms, essentially. Um, can't come in and just take somebody's guns without a warrant. So, and I guess there was a guy in, was it Rhode Island? That kind of... Uh, there was a case that and this guy had his guns taken so the nuts and bolts of the case is that um
1: this, this married couple got into it they've been married for quite a while uh i mean it sounded like i don't know that it says it but decades right like yeah. so you're to your point yes yeah, this was an older gentleman <laughs> Apparently it got hot enough that uh, he went to the bedroom and pulled a firearm out and brought it and set it on the kitchen table and told her, just do it. Just go ahead and shoot me and put me out of my misery. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it's a dark story, but um, uh, so he, she like ended up like leaving the house. And then, uh, you know, while she was out, got the cops, they came back the next day and he was sitting on the porch. And so long story short, they, uh, the The police, after you know kind of questioning him, um, you know they took him away to a mental health facility uh, you know because they were concerned she had she had called them concerned that he was going to commit suicide mm. and um, so they took him away and then they went inside ultimately and yeah took the at least the one gun that he had pulled out and asked her to kill him with and yeah, so the case is. Basically, was that a uh, was that a legal seizure of his property? It's interesting because it's not a Second Amendment case. Mm-hmm. It's a Fourth Amendment case. Yeah, the Fourth, Fourth Amendment. Amendment. Yeah, and I'm reading directly from the great Justice Thomas's uh, opinion on this. Fourth Amendment protects, quote, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so basically the analysis here was like, the guy was, there was a concern that, they, that for the guy's safety, uh, you know, that he might kill himself, but they had kind of nipped that in the bud when they apprehended him, basically, and, and took him to the, to the mental health facility, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically had him committed for, <sighs> so that the doctors reviewed him or, you know, sort of examined him and then they released him saying they didn't think he was a threat to himself. <sighs> Anyway, somewhere in there, they took the guns, Um, you know, and long and short of it is like you pointed out, thankfully, it was a nine nothing decision that this was a bridge too far. Um, There have been some, in fact, recent nine oh decisions, although the first one that comes to mind was about this time last summer when uh, the court ruled nine oh in favor of upholding uh, restrictions on religious liberty due to covid. Yeah. uh which that has obviously crumbled since then but <clears throat> um well it's not a second amendment case obviously the fact that there were firearms at play and it still garnered the votes of the three very left well the two very very left yeah yeah very, very very no i I mean it's a great it's a great great uh, decision great opinion great show of, of the you know the fact that it is unanimous in favor of just uh you know just our our liberties in general uh and while not a second amendment case the fact that even when it comes to guns the two hard left justices and then Breyer, who's sort of the left of center but but still pretty left Mm -hmm. justice could still jump in and say yep this was a bridge too far and I don't know how far you wanted to get into all this, but you know, the, the way that any of these types of cases work is obviously they start out at a, at a district court level. And then, you know, what happened here was the, the state action, meaning the intrusion and and confiscation of this man's property, uh, was upheld initially at the district court level. And then it was upheld at the, uh, first circuit appellate court level. Uh, the first circuit is obviously that upper East coast area. Mm -hmm. And, um, know and then it ultimately ends up at the supreme court level where all that was overruled and uh at the first circuit level a lot of law i guess you could say gets quote made at the circuit court appellate level um technically laws should only be made by uh the legislature what the, the proper thing to say is a lot of uh a lot of precedent gets made at the appellate court level because you know 99 out of 100 cases that go to the appellate court level never make it to the supreme court level it's probably honestly it's probably less than one way less than one percent um they don't they only take you know a few handfuls of cases a year tops and you know hundreds if not thousands <clears throat> of cases get tried at the at the appellate court levels and so like when the first circuit when this court within the first circuit made this ruling then then this would have maintained as precedent at least within the first circuit so in other words if 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 it had been held that you know if the supreme court hadn't stepped in and overruled them then throughout the first circuit the precedent that had been set would be this was an appropriate seizure of property in these circumstances right mm-hmm. and um it's interesting because they were specifically relying on a case What was it called? A case involving what's called the community caretaking rule. Um, Yeah, from some other old case, Katie, this Katie case. Um, Mm -hmm. Katie versus something or other. Anyway, um, and and in that case, apparently a car had been impounded. Uh, You know, it had been like abandoned on the highway and impounded, right? So it was in state custody. And there was a firearm in that car. So the, you know, officials at the impoundment or the cops or whoever uh, confiscated that firearm. And that case kind of made it through the process. And ultimately it was determined that the way they put it is that there are times when uh, officers of the state have to do certain things called community caretaking, things that are outside of your typical sort of criminal crime fighting, you know, uh, day job stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so even though there was n- nobody directly, you know, threatening imminent harm on another person vis-a-vis this gun in this car, to take the gun and secure it was considered uh, it was upheld as protecting, you know, community care, community caretaking. So this First Circuit Court, I have a
0: problem with that. Like, well, right. It, so that like, it, yeah. there's an abandoned car with, uh, you know, 100 right ammunition and guns in it. I right. would prefer that to be somewhere else yeah, like, and, in a safe and, place until the person can get right. it back but then they, they damn sure better have the right to get it back if it's theirs legally
1: and they're not a felon or whatever right yeah exactly if, if it's theirs legally exactly <clears throat>
0: um, I agree and
1: and Justice Thomas agreed as so is the rest of the court in fact I'm pretty sure that was a, a Supreme Court case that they were relying on at the First Circuit uh, but the interesting thing that Justice Thomas points out is that even within the opinion on that case they specifically state cars are different than your home. Like in in no uncertain terms, It, it states this would not necessarily be our ruling. If the question had to do with an unsecured firearm in a man, man or woman's home. Right. Right. They cite, he cites in the first chap, first paragraph to a case called Florida versus Yardines from 2013, where they quoted the Supreme court quoted the right of a man. I'll throw in there or woman, or other (laughs) to retreat into his own home and there be free from unreasonable governmental intrusion. That is what the fourth amendment is about. It says the very core of this guarantee of the fourth amendment is quote, the right of a man to retreat into his own home and there be free from unreasonable governmental intrusion. And so in this Katie case, they even go so far. They don't only point out that an abandoned car may present circumstances that would differ from a home. But they point out they wouldn't even necessarily rule that way if that car was sitting in the driveway of the man's home. So in other words, like,
0: yeah, then I would have a problem with that.
1: Exactly. Right. If if there's a gun sitting on somebody's chair or seat of their vehicle, but it's parked in their driveway and a neighbor gets nervous about it, they weren't even willing to go so far as to say in that circumstance, would it be appropriate? Now, it may or may not be right. I mean, if there's a gun exposed where all somebody's going to do is knock a window out. Steal a gun. Well, yeah, but Reasonable minds could differ, right?
0: Expose, like, what if it's right, in, right, like, right? If it's me, in your truck and it's hidden, I guarantee you 50% exactly. of the Texas population has a firearm in their truck. I do for sure. Yeah, Of Two course. Of yeah. yeah.
1: But to your point, they're they're not visible from just peeking in the window. My right. point is just that like these lines start to get drawn, right? And they made the point in the Cade case that a vehicle on your property that 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 the fourth amendment protection against unreasonable search and seizure could very well apply to that car while it didn't in the Cade case because the car had been abandoned on the road and ultimately impounded, right? Right. So anyway, it was funny because the First Circuit used that case as their and this concept of community caretaking to justify what the officers did in this case. And you know, as you pointed out, the Supreme Court in a nine to nothing ruling smashed that completely, you know, out of the arena. And said no. And um, good for them. Um, I do think it's worth noting again, all, you know, even the three left of center, given that this involves firearms and protectionism, which they're all about, um, felt the same. What I found kind of interesting, the case seems pretty straightforward. I mean, Mm -hmm. the, the case that they were trying, the case the First Circuit was trying to cite, as Thomas points out, didn't even support at all where they tried to take it right um i guess let me let me backtrack for just a second so anyway the fact that this got overturned is important because not only would this have been precedent in the first circuit but other courts other appellate courts across the country we end up with sort of a hodgepodge like they don't necessarily have to treat it uh as as a precedent in say the fifth circuit which i'm pretty sure is our circuit in texas pretty sure that's right fifth circuit um but they could right and so you end up with a uh, bad precedent at the appellate court levels that sort of spreads potentially. Yeah. Right. And that's why like the ninth circuit out on, out in California, they're the, uh, they're the worst, right. The, the ninth circuit is, has always been, you know, had been very leftist. I, if I'm not mistaken, Trump got to make an appointment maybe two there that sort of balance things out quite a bit. <clears throat> um. Anyway, they, they, they come up with, unconstitutional rulings all the time that then other leftist judges across the country can try to run with. Um, So it was important that this got nipped in the bud. Uh, But I thought, uh, I thought it was interesting that three uh, concurring opinions were written. uh, And I think we've talked about this before, but you know, when there's a decision, whether it's five, four or, you know, or, or nine, nothing, there will be an official opinion of the court Mm -hmm. and one justice will be tasked with writing it. And so that was justice Thomas in this case. And there's almost always concurring opinions. Um, If there's a dissent, meaning a split say five, four, seven, three, whatever, or six, three. Then there's, there's almost always somebody that will write on behalf of the dissent. And sometimes there's a concurring dissenting opinion, right? So that you can end up with a whole bunch of different, Legal opinions written on the same uh, case, only the opinion written on behalf of the majority has true precedent, right? But a lot of the stuff that comes out in these concurring opinions or dissenting opinions can be cited to all the way down to the district court level by attorneys um, in making an argument that's, you know, Kind of related to the case that was decided, but but you know different enough. Like basically, they can pull from all this other language mm-hmm. to make an argument in something that's not clear cut, like the same as what's already been determined. Right. So they're not for nothing, I guess is my point. And um, so, <laughs> Chief Justice Roberts, not surprisingly, joined Justice Breyer in a one paragraph concurrence. And really
0: gave it their all there. One paragraph.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because. Uh, all they wanted to do was point out that a warrant need not necessarily be issued to like they pointed out from this Brigham city versus Stewart case to enter someone's home to assist persons who are seriously injured or threatened with such injury. Um. And he says, then they say nothing in today's opinion is to the contrary. So therefore we join it on that basis. So it's like, okay, just a clear, just a point of clarification that they felt they really needed to make. Right. Like that there are times to their, what they're getting at is there are times when you can enter without a warrant. So y'all just remember that.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, you had, uh, justice Kavanaugh, right. One as well. And, he kind of overlaps from something justice Alito uh, had written about. And uh, I I just kind of want to highlight justice Alito for a minute, because um, in my opinion, uh, anybody who considers themselves a constitutionalist and therefore a modern day quote, conservative should understand that justices Thomas and Alito are your uh, they're your, Batman and Robin uh, right now. Uh, those two are legit, uh, staunch defenders of liberty, of due process of the Second Amendment. Uh, they are not down with the ever-broadening scope of, uh, of Roe versus Wade, which, by the way, the Supreme Court also announced this week they'll be taking up the first. From what I understand from a legal podcast I listen to, like it'll be the most... Um, based on the facts at hand and, and, the, and the law at hand, and I think Mississippi, it'll be the or maybe Alabama, one of those two, it'll it's be the most term abortion thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll it'll be the most uh, direct challenge to Roe versus Wade that the Supreme Court has taken up in like twenty something years. Huh. Uh, so that's a big deal. <clears throat> um, Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, and uh, uh, Gorsuch are all fine justices and and obviously they they all tend to vote together but but these two guys uh are sick of they're not putting up with any leftist shit <laughs> basically and um so like for example so so alito in his concurrence he points out one two three four five six i think yes yeah, six specific uh, scenarios um, where he would uh, sort of clarify that these are things we did not address uh, in this opinion in Justice Thomas's you know controlling opinion, but they're worth being aware of they're worth thinking about right One of those specifically, he calls out uh, I think what he refers to as the dubious red line, uh, not red line uh, red flag laws being promoted across the country. Mm-hmm. So he goes, Straight at, Yeah, here it is. The, this case also implicates another body of law that petitioner glossed over the so-called red flag laws that some states are now enacting. These laws enable the police to seize guns pursuant to a court order to prevent their use for suicide or the infliction of harm on innocent persons. They typically specify the standard that must be met and then procedures are, uh, challenging. And those cases may come before. Uh, so he says. Uh, provisions of red flag laws may be challenged under the fourth amendment and those cases may come before us. Our decision today does not address those issues. Like that's the kind of stuff you get from Alito, right? Mm. Like I want to make sure everybody knows that I'm interested in talking about these red flag laws, (laughs) even though they're not that perfectly, you know, Though I mean like he points out they're, they're, they're relevant in this context. Right. So anyway, it wasn't a red flag law specifically that was at issue. It was, you know, because I guess there is no such law in uh, Rhode Island. Anyway, yeah. he had a few of those things. I won't get too far into them, but you know, the upshot here is, as we've talked about since January, man, um, the Supreme Court in a country that is as clearly divided as ours, um, where it seems like half the country is prepared to replace the Constitution with something that they have not yet defined, <laughs> uh, is uh, is and will uh, for the foreseeable future be. Uh, where the uh, where I guess where the buck stops, and um, it's a big damn deal that there are five
0: legit uh, textualists uh, sitting on it now. So yeah, so great news on that front. Um, what about this? Is just a quick note. This uh, Space Force uh, Lieutenant. Did you hear about this guy, uh, Lieutenant uh, Matthew Lohmeyer of the command of the 11th space warning squadron. Uh, So apparently Lormeyer was on a recent podcast and uh, was disavowing critical race theory and Marxism. And now he's lost his job. (laughs) (laughs) He also had a new book coming out, which I think bashed both of those things pretty uh, thoroughly. Whoops. And uh, yeah, so fired. We no longer need you here. Right. Um,
1: I didn't. I, I did see it. I think it was last week when it mm-hmm. hit the news, and I uh, admit I didn't dive too into too far into it. Um, we certainly
0: sp- spend a considerable amount of time uh, on this oh, podcast. I didn't have. If I wasn't my own boss, I might have already lost my job.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just a uh, second. I do have what? a loss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: this moment yeah. of uh, self uh, introspection <clears throat> there. Yeah, sometimes I think I probably should use an
1: alias, but anyway, um, what I was getting at was um, we spent a lot of time talking about the threat of hard leftism, i.e., Marxism, uh, in this country, and uh, obviously take issue with. uh, While we support the continued fight against true racism, you know, we take issue with critical race theory and the concept of anti-racism, racism. Uh, and we do think those are all legitimate threats to the country to sort of uh, you know, having only really read a few headlines about it, just sort of paint this decision to let this guy go because he espoused a, that that's that, that view. I think it's entirely possible there could be a lot more to it. You just pointed out yeah. he's got a book coming out. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm looking at some headlines right now that say he claimed that Marxism is taking over the military
0: um that may be true oh, he might not be wrong he may that. not be wrong and i hope that uh, it, my buddy uh, mickey down the street that's in the uh reserves uh he uh he said they let the what are they called when you're in basic training he, oh, he said they're letting them have their cell phones now at basic training which like <laughs> when he was in it, that was like not a thing like forget about it you know uh so he said that it is getting certainly wussified
1: yeah and anybody that you talk to going back for Thirty or forty years that served in the military, each decade, right? I guess they get off my. They're, thing. Yeah, they're all complaining about how, and, and I'm not saying it's not true, right? Like it, it has changed a lot, right? I mean, my, you know, I think I mentioned it, but my dad and grandfather were both Marines, and then my best friend from high school joined the Marine Corps, and you know, they can, they all gripe quite a bit about uh, the stuff that you know my dad got away with during boot camp um, in terms of disciplining his platoon mates. Uh, You know, my buddy Aaron could not and they, you know, whatever he could have done in his day could not happen now. But I I would say cell phones being allowed doesn't sound like a direct road to Marxism to me. Um, But I'm not dismissing it because there are people who are making. I hear a lot of people talking about. I hear people talking about uh, the it's any it's like any other bureaucracy, man. The military is like any other bureaucracy. And you have people. Um, that uh, decide to make their career out of the military, which means they have to be somewhat political, right? Mm-hmm. Because politics change, uh, political leaders change. And if you want to continue working your way up, and I'm not saying this about every every general, you know, every <laughs> name, the high, you know, sort of high brass position, but, but generally speaking to continue, to, to survive and continue to climb rank, you have to be somewhat malleable, right? You have to be able to evolve as the politics around you evolve. Um, and you know, it's undeniable that there's a rise in Marxist thinking in this country as we speak. So it wouldn't shock me that there's a rise in Marxist, you know, thinking within our military, um, as much as it would, uh, (laughs) <laughs> wouldn't shock me although it would scare me mm-hmm. my point is just that you know if this oh, dude's writing, yeah. if this the dude's writing books getting,
0: becoming yeah. more and more marxist uh okay well when do when does the military just turn on the civilians and right or I'm, just I'm, stop standing up for liberty like if, if shit hit the fan you know
1: yeah well i mean if somehow the military became a marxist entity um then then by definition it no longer stands for individual uh life, liberty, and property. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm just saying, like the original headline I said I saw, I think, said for speaking out against Marxism and critical race theory. And then the ones I'm looking at now say he claimed that Marxism is quote taking over the military. And then you point out that he's writing a book, and it's like, okay, at what point? Let's assume it's it's not f- Fully true, at what point is his desire and willingness to be so public and even profit off of some of these claims undermining the, uh, the institution that he serves, right? That being I agree. said, if, he's, if it's legitimate and he's a whistleblower, well, hopefully something will ultimately come of it. But when you're the whistleblower and there's not a whistleblower statute to protect you, you tend to lose your job. <laughs> until, until you lawyer up and, and fight
0: the fight, right? So Yeah. Another note I have here is from across the pond. It's coming out of uh, Spain and this politician, Francisco Jose Contreras. He is a, uh, uh, let's see, deputy to Spain's far-right Vox party. He, so he's a pretty high-ranking official in Spain. He was uh, locked out of his Twitter account for hate speech for saying, "quote, a man cannot get pregnant because they have no uterus or eggs," Twitter <laughs> said that was hate speech. <laughs> uh, and and also, they uh, when the elections Spain Spain had their elections, I guess about six months ago, they disabled the entire Vox party's Twitter account for the twenty four hours uh, before election day. So, uh, yeah. Meanwhile, anyway, the um, you know a man can get pregnant. Apparently. And if you don't agree with that, then you are a bigot. Meanwhile, the
1: CNN contributor who this week in speaking on the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict going on at the moment uh, said something about Hitler had one thing right, uh, and he's not been banned from Twitter yet.
0: Yeah, Uh, that's actual hate speech. This guy just I mean, it's just science, but here's the party of science once again saying uh, we only believe that when it fits our narrative, so we're gonna we're gonna walk that back. You're a bigot because uh, this guy is a man and he wants to say he can have a kid. Uh, he can carry a child in his non-existent womb. So what kind of fucking la-la land are we living in, Chisholm?
1: No, I mean, we always we always reference two plus two equals five when it comes to this
0: um, specific aspect. He even said in his quote, "Next time I'll try two plus two equals five. <laughs> <laughs> to really, his reply against Twitter. Yeah, <laughs>
1: nice, perfect, good. Somebody is paying attention. Thank God, because that's what, dude. If you read that book, which I know you have, and I beg everybody listens to us to do so. He he, Orwell explains very clearly. If they can make you, be- if they can make you say and believe that two plus two equals five, then they can make you do and believe and say anything, right? To me, this is in a lot of ways, worse isn't the word I'd like to use, but you know, it's, it's more poignant to force people to say, you know, that gender and sexual biology have nothing to, like, (laughs) I'll acknowledge all day long and respect the rights of transgender people, but if you're not allowed to say that a man can't have a baby, then that is that, that, that to me, that is clearly and specifically one aspect of this overall social engineering project to control our minds. Like, it has and what, to be. like it, it, I mean, it just is like, and this goes back to Jordan Peterson, you know, he, <laughs> Jordan Peterson, the Canadian psychologist I've referenced a few times, is a liberal. Like, Full stop, man. I mean, his whole life, he always has been, right? He's a professor and a psychologist, right? But he now firmly associates more with the modern day conservatism because of its because the left is, you know, liberals have abandoned freedom of thought and expression first and foremost, right? And he became famous when the province of Ontario passed a law saying that you had to use whatever of the 72 new gender pronouns somebody tells you that they expect you to use, even if it's like they change it every day, right? <laughs> or, or you could be subject to, you know, potentially criminal prosecution. And he was like, no. And it's not because I hate trans people or have a problem with, you know, he, he's a psychologist. He absolutely knows that the dsm 4 the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, includes in it gender dysphoria, what used to be called, I think, transgenderism is now called gender dysphoria. But the point is it's a medical condition. It's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody denies it. Right? That being said, his only stance was I won't let the government tell me what I have to say. Right? right? He called it compelled speech. And that's the antithesis of free
0: speech. So he's like, no. And he you know, became an international Did phenom you before. see last week, well, I didn't notice a, like a press release or anything on it, but, uh, I went to my Instagram to put in a new link to a show. Like I'm on profile, my bio, and now there's before your website. So it's like at the very top, actually here, I'll just pull it up, uh, before, let's see, if you go to your Instagram profile, you want to edit your profile, edit profile. Okay. It goes your name, your username, and then. Before important things like website or bio, it's your fucking pronouns now. Pronouns. I typed in L M and F A O. They're like, that's not an acceptable pronoun. (laughs) Oh, really? That's (laughs) not.
1: I thought you just got to make them make them up. Why is that not acceptable?
0: Yeah. No, apparently laugh my fucking ass off is not acceptable pronoun, but that's how I feel about it. So whatever. I'm with Jordan Peterson on that. I think you uh, should just be a pain in their ass and
1: come up with something clever that LMFAO could stand for that's not laughing my and ass off and just haggle with them for a little bit about why this is complete <laughs> bigotry that they won't let you use your preferred
0: gender pronouns. I Yeah. And I also identify as vaccinated. So there you go. Because <laughs> you get to choose whatever you nice. want on whatever yeah. day you feel like it's, it suits you. So uh, yeah, more great stuff from Instagram and Twitter. Um, other stuff. I, I think we have plenty of time to get into the uh, the bishop thing today. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's a
1: good transition. Uh, no pun intended.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look, Chisholm's got jokes. Hey. Uh, I'm the funny one. So, <sighs> You're uh, right. anyway, You're the funny one. I get my moment. though. So. <sighs> let's get uh, into the uh, new, is it, it's in the Lutheran church. And I want to say like an archbishop, uh, first, no, first transgender bishop. I don't even have. I don't have the story here. I just have the little screenshot I put on. Uh, why don't you pull that up while we're while I'm kind of setting the stage here? But the Lutheran Church elected its first transgender bishop, who will lead 200 congregations. Uh, and it's quote. I don't know if it was a man to woman or woman to man or what it even identifies as. So I'm just going to call it it. And it is very aware that this call is bigger than me. That's it about serving God and it's about a place in history that means a lot means a lot to a lot of people they said they, they even said they oh, I don't know whatever your pronoun is person uh, <clears throat> so my thought on that was what a conflict of interest because if we believe that God is infallible and doesn't make mistakes then how did this person come out of the womb as a mistake yeah, that's sort of where I, uh, I cut straight to the
1: heart of my thinking on this. So this is going to be uh, a, a sort of thought experiment slash debate. And I, I just ask everybody's grace as we go through this because <laughs> uh, I have some thoughts and and I was I've been I've been having these thoughts for some time now. Um, in fact, right before that men's retreat that I went to, I think, before the last time we talked Uh I kind of had a revelation, and uh, and actually talked with some of the guys there about it. This idea of God's infallibility, perfection, right? Um, I know. <clears throat> have we talked about Bayma on the show?
0: Uh, I don't think I we've talked about Bayma. No.
1: Yeah. So so last year I got turned on to this podcast uh, called the Bayma Podcast, B E M A, and it's um, Bayma's. I've listened is, to
0: about twenty episodes. I'd say. Nice.
1: Yeah. Sweet. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you, you know, you, you've gotten turned on it and took at least one major revelation from it that, that you really found valuable and that helped you through something that I think you'd said you'd spent 20 years kind of yeah. avoiding. And that is the, the the dilemma sort of between what science tells us about creation and what the first few chapters of Genesis tell us about creation, right? Um, it helps you square that if you've got an open mind uh, to understanding the Bible in a different way, basically. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, it, Bema is actually the name of the platform in the middle of a synagogue that the uh, rabbi or whoever's reading the message would stand on to deliver the message. Um, anyway, that's kind of neither here nor there other than I, I think it helps the name stick. The guy who hosts it is a, um, he doesn't consider himself a, uh, um, what do you call it? Um,
0: He's Jewish, <laughs> isn't he?
1: Yeah. His father, so his last name Solomon. His father's lineage is, is Jewish, but, he's not a um, oh, Christian. he's teaching he, right he's he considers himself a protestant evangelical christian versus right. um a a, a a messianic jew that's the word i'm looking for so there there are there are there's a whole group of jews across the world that are uh that are basically christian converts right um which you know uh the book of james was actually written i learned this from bema the book of james messianic was written Messiah. by james right exactly yeah. the book of james was written to hebrews who were coming into Christianity through the life and uh, death and resurrection of of Jesus. Right. So I'm not sure how many people that are Christians in America really know that, like that, that there is a whole sort of sect of, of, of Judaism that acknowledges Jesus as the Messiah. Anyway, my point is he's not actually one of those. (laughs) He's he's he's, he was raised in may have been Lutheran. In fact, anyway, he was raised in an evangel, evangelical Christian Household, but he began studying under rabbis and, and continues to do so. Uh, he's been to uh, Jerusalem, to, to Turkey, to all of these ancient sites, and studied with some of the, you know, sort of foremost experts in, you know, ancient Judaism that that we have. And his whole take is, you know, that's what Jesus was, right? And and what, and all of his teachings are based on him having. Uh, you know, certainly from a Christian perspective, the, the deepest understanding of God's intent from the old Testament. Right. And <clears throat> getting back to the point here, one of the things he highlights early on in the Bema podcast is um, the difference between Eastern philosophy and Western philosophy, right? Western philosophy is very uh, it's based on logic, right? Logos. Um, the individual's ability to, to, think and reason right from the from the greek tradition right and not that that's not crucial and important right but as an easterner jesus he argues would have taken a more eastern philosophical approach westernism is sort of uh somewhat black and white right yeah exactly if you're gonna that's right if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna work your way through a problem from a logic and rational perspective logical and rational perspective it's gonna be you know you turn here you turn there you come to this conclusion right and to me that leads to problems like the one i touched on where you know you'd always struggle my problem
0: was that i was struggling with interpreting the bible as literal like that's right right uh i'm a christian I say that word too much. I still do that. Uh, but I, I, where are the dinosaurs? Where are these other things? How does the science that w- we know these things existed? I've been to uh, Fossil Rim, I've stood in a dinosaur footprint. And you're telling me that Noah put those on the ark? Right. Yeah. right. He didn't. So where did they go? And how come if you if add up all, all the, the math, the it's only 6,000 years? He was supposed to have them on the ark. So I've str- I struggle with that growing up Southern Baptist. Uh, I went to a Lutheran school from 7th through 10th grade, and then I went to a Catholic school from 11th and, t- to 11th and 12th grade. So I've got indoctrinated by a lot of different perspectives. And, um, I, you know, I always just struggled with uh, that interpretation of, you know, literal, the Bible is literal, it's the Word of God. And, uh, and from the, you know, I, I tend to believe the New Testament to be pretty literal. Uh, but just like, I just don't know that, uh, you know, anyway, I told you, I've been struggling this, with this for my entire adult life and I've always just set, been told this is what it is and if you're a Christian you have to believe that. I finally just came to that revelation in turkey camp with you. We were sat up talking until like 3 a.m. and uh, finally I was just like it's okay to, to not interpret it that way and still, and still believe uh, that, that Jesus you know, is my Lord and Savior and he did die for my sins. Uh, but that maybe the Old Testament is more of a guidebook, and maybe it's been played out multiple times throughout human history. Because what is, uh, what is it? Why is, why is the Almighty defining Himself by seven days? What is a day to someone that's the Alpha and the Omega? That's right. So that's the gist of our conversation that Chisholm and I had. Anyway.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and uh, but but you know even further than that, you know this guy Solomon. He points out that <clears throat> you, you're missing all of the depth that these stories hold if you put on blinders and just read it as a textbook, right? Mm. The way I, the, so it's interesting because g- going back to seventh grade, I asked our pastor at the church I grew up in about this stuff. And he was able to sort of very succinctly explain to me, you know, to your point, why do we believe... That when God said a day, in the old in in Genesis, it meant a twenty-four hour period. Particularly because if you walk through those days, it isn't until day four that He clearly and unequivocally establishes what we call a day. It's kind of convoluted because He keeps referencing morning and evening, but it's day four. And I'd have to look up the the passage to. to There's something in the definition or explanation of day four where He finally puts boundaries around you know the 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 sun. In the daytime and the stars and moon in the nighttime and all that so it's kind of bema points out early on like he didn't really even firmly define a day until day four so what was he talking about days one two and three right but to your point for an infinite being why do we limit him to our language he had to convey a story to us in ways that we could understand it mm-hmm. thousands of years ago right <clears throat> when we probably didn't even have the capacity to grasp infinity right so why couldn't a day to God be a billion years? And maybe, you know, that kind of lines up with the theory that maybe the universe is six billion years old. Um, why does the Big Bang not seem to relate pretty clearly to the concept of let there be light? The point is between bayma and listening actually to Jordan Peterson's breakdown of Old Testament stories, I, I started he pointed that out to me. So I've never had for as long since junior high, I haven't had that conflict but just in the last few years i've started learning how to better articulate it
0: and oh man i have and bad like wondering at points like you know questioning my own faith right because of that internal struggle yeah well and i think to your point
1: dude uh i'm kind of on a mission when it comes to this because i feel like it is the number one um impediment to a lot of uh a lot of secular secularly raised well-educated Americans and people all across the globe, it's the biggest impediment to them being able to, to dive into the Bible and take something from it. I mm-hmm. Again, Peterson, we talked about this one the other day, but that teacher in New York that took a stand against uh, the anti-racial training going on, indoctrination going on in this private school, he went on with Jordan Peterson and he said at the end, you know, he was raised Catholic, but he had abandoned, you know, he was an atheist And it wasn't until you heard Peterson talking about these stories as uh, poetic archetypes that to your point, not only speak to the humans at the time, but speak to humanity over and over again throughout time and can be used to understand all kinds of almost infinite. There's infinite possibility in every single passage as to how it could potentially apply to you in your life. And if you're only looking at it this way, you either are gonna believe it and say that the science is, is is wrong and is lying to us and the dinosaurs never roamed the earth to your point, or you're gonna say, Well, it's all garbage and I don't need any of it, right? Mm-hmm. And if you'll <clears throat> so so you can get more people into faith, in my opinion, if you can help them square that circle, right? I just and they'll have a deeper understanding of it, you know. <sighs> there's so much here, right?
0: Yeah. So the, so the way I mind that we are certainly uh, punching out of our weight class. These are just our opinions, and we're we're not, you know, uh, <laughs> authorities on the subject whatsoever,
1: for sure. But I also believe that we're called, if we're people of faith, to do just this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to have a conversation about it and be willing to wrestle with it. In fact, God calls I, us to wrestle. That's right. It literally. The story when, of uh, Jacob. story of Jacob became Israel, and the word Israel meant he who wrestled with the Lord, mm-hmm. right? The deeper meaning, again, if you just read that story and you don't put any thought outside of what it says, you'll miss the fact that the entire, the entire lineage was named after the idea that this man wrestled with God until the sun rose, right? Like there was some level... And, 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 and also, this was a guy who had been a sh- shyster, to use right. a nice Yiddish word, his entire so life saw. up to that point. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, he had screwed his brother. He had done all kinds of treacherous things, right? Deceived his dad. Yeah. And then screwing his brother over. And then had the stones to fight with God or the angel of God anyway, until the sunrise, took a wound for it, but wasn't killed and became the new patriarch, right? And it changed the trajectory of his life and his lineage. There's a deep, deep meaning there. And is right? Isn't it Ms. Paul, the place? Uh, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, the way I've explained it is, is poetry is fiction, but the it's, it's useless unless it's true about humanity, right? There's a difference okay. between fact and truth. This is a Peterson thing, right? Fact is what you learn in a textbook. There are absolutely, I would, I would say that everything in that book is factual. At some point in history, what I would contend is, you know, maybe the names are convoluted and the timetables especially are truncated, right? Because especially in the old testament, you're talking about many thousands of years of history kind of getting mashed into where you know multiple different. One one individual might represent stories from two thousand
0: years of history, right?
1: And that's that's from myself,
0: real quick. The name of the place is Penuel. Mizpah, is where Jacob and Laban made their treaty. So, good job, perfect. (laughs) Um,
1: rabbinically speaking, like scholars of ancient Judaism know that that's true, right? That 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 the word is divine, yet you know, again, you, you may have one prophet as rep is, is one prophet as described in the old Testament might, you know, it's, it's, I always forget which one it is. One of the prophets is, is well understood to have be representing, uh, multiple different individuals in, uh, ancient Jewish history. Uh, in fact, the book was written by three different authors because the ancient text is clearly poetry from, you know, it's written in like three different styles, right? Mm. So these are things we don't learn in Sunday school in Western Christian churches, right? right because Western is black and white. Here That's right. It
0: is. Take it
1: at right. face value. Right. <clears throat> there's this, uh, there was this conversation that a Catholic Bishop had with Peterson the other day where they were talking about this kind of stuff. And they, he, the, the Bishop points out how there's that moment. Um, I think it's when Jesus is resurrected. I meant to actually look it up yesterday and he goes back to the men and tells them to cast their nets in deep, in the deeper water. That's where they'll find the fish and they catch a net full that's, that's so full they can't hoist the nets out of the, out of the water.
0: This is when Jesus tells them to. Yeah. No, it was cast on the other side
1: of the boat. But I think it was into deeper water, oh. right? The, 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 the off, the offshore side where the water yeah. was deeper. Yeah. Um, His point was you could, if you're looking at that from the right frame of mind, this open-minded interpretive place, you'll, you'll read that to understand like, The meaning in life the place you need to be your faith and spirituality will be fulfilled in the deeper water right into looking more deeply than uh sort of the just the shallow interpretation anyway interpretation right so so bringing that all back to the transgender bishop (laughs) uh i started you know one of the reasons that we're told through the story of Jacob to rest to wrestle with God is because if you're being fair and honest and you've read the entire book cover to cover, you're going to find things that really contradict each other other, themselves and really don't make sense. Right. You're going to find instances where God is extraordinarily vengeful. Right. You're going to find
0: testament is, is littered with his vengeance. Dude, go straight
1: to early Genesis and the story of Noah. We say God is infallible. He does not make mistakes. God is perfect. Right. Yet he made man in his image and then declared mankind so evil that it had to be wiped from the face of the earth and then did so and then saved Noah and his family and promised Noah in the covenant and the bow in the clouds that he would never do that again. I'm going to say something that's going to rub some people the wrong way, maybe even you, but again, give me some time to sort of vet this out. How do we listen to that story? and not consider that a possible acknowledgement of at least an overreaction if not a mistake and and i would further point out that evil that he was wiping from the face of the earth certainly it didn't get accomplished right that evil existed from hell within noah's family shortly thereafter when he curses his own son for covering him up right and then throughout the rest of the story right like he didn't he he, he did the, he created this in his image then declared us evil then promised he wouldn't do it again and yet the evil continues to persist right so it's like
0: and yet sodom and gomorrah he did it again
1: that's right and then exactly and there he did it again right and then even there not to the same
0: degree but something I mean.
1: this week i started thinking about was because i happened upon it in my just morning uh routine I'm back to reading Genesis over again and I'm in the story of Abraham and leading up to the stories of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You have this incredible passage where Abraham is bargaining with God to save Sodom, right? He's saying, uh, God, who am I to challenge you? I beg your forgiveness. But if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom, could we maybe not burn it down? And God's like, all right, fine. If I come up with 50 righteous people, we won't burn it down. Wonderful. Thanks, God. Um, hey, far be it for me to, to press the issue any further. But, but what, if, what if there's 40? And he, and he finagles it all the way down to 10, and he gets God to agree. If I can find 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare it, right? Then, then the very next chapter, turns out the only righteous people, I guess, in all of Sodom were Lot and his wife, two daughters, and uh, sons-in-laws. And so the angels that were sent to put the city to the sword got them out of there, and you know wrecked everything else. And it's like,
0: and still even that a few of them turned to salt, salt pillars for looking back. Right, right. I think I think his wife. Right. Yeah, yeah. And
1: so anyway, it definitely presents a challenge to me when you listen to all that to the notion that. Um, Well, to, 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 to the concept of infallibility. Now my position is not that God is fallible. My position is we have a black and white definition of perfection and fallibility. Hmm. God chose to leave the serpent in the garden to tempt Adam and Eve. He chose to put the tree there and told them not to touch it and then leave the serpent to tempt them. The, you know, the, best the, the the most common question you'll get from an atheist is you know if god exists why is there why is there evil in the world why is the, why is this, you know they may not believe in satan right but even a believer might ask why does satan exist why does pain and suffering exist why does a 5 year old child end up with an incurable cancer all you know all these questions about why does this loving and benevolent god allow all these things and what i'm getting at is if all we ever had was sunshine and rainbows and roses, we would not would have any appreciation. Why would we need him 100%, right? That That's a good point too. But I was going to say we would have no appreciation for the sunshine and the rainbows and the roses because they would never be count- counterbalanced by rain clouds, uh, lightning, and thorns, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> You're exactly right. The point of the whole thing to me is God gave us Free will in a complex world and asks us to choose him. He doesn't demand or force us to do so. He wants us to choose him despite all that, right? To turn to him when we're in those times of suffering, right? To understand that there's a bigger picture at play and, you know, hopefully, ultimately, a happy ending, right? So, I mean, even when you go forward to the New Testament and you mentioned, you know, you feel like the New Testament is sort of more black and white. I almost agree, except that every time Jesus opens his mouth, he's speaking in parables. Mm-hmm. Right. Parables that on a first read, you're like, I don't understand the point. Like, what were we, you know, where are we And it, Certainly his, uh, his disciples had to ask, what does that got to do with anything? Jesus, what are we talking about? And I don't remember exactly where the passage is, but he says somewhere It's through these parables that those of you who want to understand will learn and those that, uh, I'm paraphrasing, right? But it's, he says something to the effect that those who are not seeking won't take anything from these parables. And if I told you in no uncertain terms, rather than in parables, they still wouldn't get it right but those of you who are committed and who are willing to do this work and who are willing to wrestle, if you'll dive into these parables, you'll see that there's way more meaning than just the story itself. So <clears throat> with all that being said, I'm not saying that God is fallible. I'm saying that the imperfection that was us Westerners might describe the world as is God's perfect intent that there's that he leaves the devil in existence, sin in existence, pain and suffering in existence, so that we can understand what salvation and redemption means, what a good day means compared to a bad day, right? I gave this talk to the kids at Tribe the other day, and the first thing I started with was an image of the uh, Mm yin-yang. And I just, you know, in part because I've always found that as a kid, I thought it was super cool looking, and I bet you do too, right? Speaking of black and white, right. right? There's just like stark, interesting image and peterson i think would argue it's been it's so ancient it's almost <clears throat> it catches your eye because we're we've almost we've almost evolved with this image right just like we've evolved with these stories right and that image is a representation of the concepts of chaos and order right and the interplay between the two right mm-hmm. <clears throat> you there's so there's a lot of different ways you can sort of look at and analyze what that thing means but one of the things that it certainly means is the you know, chaos and order, pain and suffering, right? These, 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 the dualism of existence, right? The, the, the good and evil in the heart of every one of us, all of these are sort of microcosms of this grand narrative, right? But that's absolutely one of the points of the book is that every one of us is a center capable of redemption, right? So uh, let me ask a question with all that sort of as backdrop. (laughs) Do you believe that there are people who are born crosswired when it comes to this transgender co- conversation?
0: I don't know. Uh, okay, different. well, do you believe there are people who are born gay? Yeah, I would say that there probably are. Right. Okay. Yeah.
1: Go ahead on the transgender thing. Sorry. I was
0: just going to say, though, but I think that the trans, I mean, it, in going back to the, the book, the um, Irreversible Damage, like, I, I, I'm, I'm going to say, no, I don't think people are born crosswired i think maybe they're born gay and then they take i don't know maybe disease dysphoria whatever it is what in here like why is there a 400 percent increase in female to male transgendering among <clears throat> adolescents Four thousand, i think yeah so or, so, uh, so yeah that's I wanna, created that's right. like, that's that is a societal creation so i'm gonna answer no i do not think that people are born crosswired no okay so I so, so i so.
1: get where you're coming from and i want to i want to parse out the indoctrination element of what we're dealing with right now
0: that's my big problem with letting right. bishop be a transgender I, I and i and i get it and, and i don't and and even though i just said i don't believe they're born that way i have no no problem with them i don't care that you know there's probably some that are way better people than me yeah and i don't well, and i believe they're probably going to heaven i don't think that like being a transgender means that you're not going to heaven at all I don't believe that one bit and I believe God loves them as much as he loves you as much as he loves everyone Um, right well that doesn't mean I want them in a church leadership role because you're just furthering the indoctrination and and normalizing something that I don't think should be normalized so I
1: don't disagree Um, I'm going to say right now I don't know where I stand on this I'm just throwing out some questions because I think it's worth thinking about I do think that there is That there are people who are legitimately, I'll I'll use the term again, and I'm sure that this is something that would be considered horribly on PC, but crosswired, right? I I do believe, because before it became the cause du jour, to your point, there had always been a minuscule, but real, you know, statistical component, like as far as back as, you know, I I mean, there are
0: of what, cross-dressers?
1: Yeah, people. Yeah, before there were surgeries for it, of people who present they, we themselves them different.
0: Trannies back then. Well, right. I know really pc now, but
1: yeah, but uh, t- I mean, uh, all the only thing that's changed in the last thirty years compared to a hundred years prior is the fact that there's surgery for it now. Right, as far as I'm concerned. Right, like if there's always been people who felt the need to present that way, then to me take the indoctrination part out of it and the dramatic and insane, I think it's 4,000% increase in young women who are doing it in particular. There's always been people who, like I said, seem to have been crosswired to present in a different way. And it's only now that through hormones and surgeries, can they actually
0: physically do something about it? Female to male, 4,000%. I think that's what it was in the book. Right. Yeah.
1: So what I'm getting at is if you'll at least grant me the premise that if you do agree that there are, people who are born gay, um, then at least grant me the premise that there are people who are born trans and that they want to live as trans. You know, they're, they're like that simply being gay doesn't satisfy this crosswiring in their brain that they need to go this extra step, right, of presenting the, the other direction. I guess what I'm getting at is <clears throat> God's allowing that. Um, whether you want to say God made them that way or not, they are part of the world and they always have been um well then why should i have a problem with one being a bishop well to the point you made earlier it's continues to sort of normalize the thing right and and potentially indoctrinate more people but that's that is kind of the heart i'm getting at but even more than just
0: born crosswired that are just have fallen into this sect of uh yeah social media and youtube and all that stuff right i mean the sad thing is that that's who they think their real friends are and it's played out in reversible damage in all of the people that she interviews uh Abigail Schreier interviews in that book
1: right so so not only does it open the question of why should we have a problem with this transgender bishop but what i'm actually getting at is if for whatever reason culturally we're facing a reckoning right now where we have to somehow em- embrace this now again i, I want to set for a
0: moment the indoctrination well, it seems like the ship is sailed side. like there's no well, there's no going the other way Yeah. Well, and so what I'm getting at is how do we just keep our kids protected is what I'm, you
1: know. Well, agreed. But to me, that's on you and me, right? Mm -hmm. To do that. Right? Um, It's on you and me to raise our children to both understand and be compassionate for these people, but also not to succumb to indoctrination. But what I'm getting at is I had a conversation the other day with a guy I go to church with about how Jordan Peterson breaks down the old Testament from the secular eight. He's not an atheist. I don't, he's not an atheist, but he, he takes a secular atheist approach, scientific approach to how these stories are like encoded in our DNA. Right. And that we've evolved with them and that they have this greater meaning than what they say. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and his, his response was, that's great. Do you feel like that's enough to establish a personal relationship with Jesus? And I said, no, I don't. But it's a start. And the guy, the, 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 the math teacher that I just mentioned a little while ago, mm-hmm. said exactly that: that he rediscovered the Bible because Jordan Peterson unlocked in his brain a way to see it for what it can mean for him, versus then you know, versus explicitly what it says, right? And that's going to set that man on a new path, right? So what I'm getting at is if society at least pockets of it are transitioning towards this this you know lgbtq revolution and a and a transgender bishop will bring people into the church because they're they now feel it's a welcoming place even if they're not transgender right maybe they're just liberal lefties from san francisco where this person's from who are like hey finally a church that has my kind of values what do we do with that right? Like I'm not, I'm not taking, I'm not changing my opinion or arguing with you about the indoctrination part. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I will say that I feel like this is a pendulum that is swinging in an overcorrection fashion yeah. that has to inevitably settle back to something reasonable, right? We won't see 4,000% increases every half decade in girls transitioning in perpetuity, right? Like that's a problem. And my, my prayer is that five years from now, it goes back to the levels that it had historically been, right? Right. Or somewhere in between. But these pendulums swing and they always end up swinging back.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Like, if if God's allowing it, which he is, why in the Old Testament is he striking down Sodom and Gomorrah for the exact same things? Yeah. Sodomy. I, so, I mean, the name is Sodom. It's butt sex. So Sure. Yeah yeah. And it's no, and I'm, it's dude on dude butt sex is what he's talking about. So why like why in the Old Testament is does he have a problem with it and now we're supposed to say okay now as Christians it's cool. So I I'm just and I'm not saying that that's my stance. I'm just saying it's kind of a conflict there.
1: No, you're right. And and, and that's a perfect example of what I'm getting at of having to wrestle with both passages throughout the Bible that maybe seem to contradict each other but then also modern day reality versus what that thing says you're right i mean the bible seems to make it pretty clear where god falls on these things right god isn't into butt stuff (laughs) (laughs) man (laughs) i would say you should put that as the tagline on this episode but i don't want that in perpetuity (laughs) and writing (laughs) wow um (laughs) my uh, all I'm trying to do is 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 think about this concept because to me anything that brings people to the to the word of god uh shouldn't be dismissed castigated or uh or f- like fought hard excuse me by fellow christians at the same time we don't have to embrace things that we do believe are unholy or sinful um I
0: guess another point I would I'm make agree with is you on the point you just made about anything that brings people to God is a good thing. Yeah. Even if, even if the existence is, is something that's contradicted in the Bible is itself. Like, well,
1: it, right. And so my point what's there better, was more
0: Christians or less Christians,
1: dude, the only character of uh, more Christians, obviously the only right. character in the Bible that was flawless in terms of sin, in terms of the life he led was jesus all the rest of them horribly flawed
0: mm-hmm.
1: right all the rest of them did we already talked covered jacob right already talked about how noah fell after the flood david the great king had his
0: you had a guy had a guy because he murdered
1: because he yeah that's right yeah. Uh, i mean those stories are all over the place right there there's the prophet shimshan samson that i always like to point to you know, going around cutting people's, you know, stabbing people with a donkey bone, right? Like there, are, there aren't any perfect individuals. They all have massive instances of sin, violence, lust, et cetera. And yet God still used them because all of us are that, right? All of us mm-hmm. are going to have those moments throughout a lifetime. So, <clears throat> it, I can't answer the question of what do I do with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah versus this transgender bishop. But I can say God uses imperfect people to grow his kingdom all the time. And, you know, if a bunch of San Franciscans will start going to church because they're super pumped about a transgender bishop, I have to look at that and say, I'm not willing to just call it heresy uh, and fight tooth and nail about it, right? It kind of goes back to my point always about gay marriage in the first place.
0: Um, I'm not gonna fight it I'm just I mean and I think that most people that have a issue with it would just go to another church but I'm not gonna that's right we're not gonna throw up our arms and say no this can't be allowed like it it is it's it's happened so more Christians is better than less Christians whatever y'all do that that's fine and we'll all do this over here okay and cool and (laughs) I'll respect your your your, uh, personal convictions and you know, I just don't, I don't have to go to the church. So, and my kids won't be raised in that church. And I feel like that's probably, I think that's probably the general consensus of a lot of Christians. I think the days of uh, Southern Baptist revivals and hellfire and brimstone are largely behind us as far as condemning. I don't know. I haven't been to a, a church where they interpret the Bible as literal in a long time. Maybe those things are still going. I, no that that still absolutely exists um, i don 't know percentage wise i think
1: I think that m- churches are quote liberalizing in uh, you know modernizing with the times by and large, but there are absolutely still fundamentalist churches. Um, I listened to a podcast a, a quick one by albert Mo- albert moeller uh, al Moller, who's the
0: um like i think he was the
1: one time uh Whatever the head would be of the Southern Baptist Convention, he's still like uh, he's a he's a big honcho in the in the Southern Baptist Convention. Hmm. Um, I saw his name in an article just yesterday. He's probably been to Glorietta then, uh, probably so. Hmm. Um, he definitely had an uh, an episode just uh, Monday or Tuesday of this week where he ripped our alma mater um, for uh, their decision to consider. They haven't even actually officially decided it, but they are currently. Uh, looking at how to charter the first LGBTQ uh, uh, student group at Baylor University. Uh, and I can tell you that almost every so it's a daily podcast, five days a week, 15 to 20 minutes. I listen to it, I find some value in it, but he is absolutely at war with it, what he calls the LGBTQ revolution. And some
0: people, after listening to this podcast, might think we're at war with it. I don't think we're I think we're more wrestling with it, like internally and trying to protect our own families. Just not. I'm not you and I are not trying to tell other people what they should and should not do. And it sounds like this guy is except for
1: not manipulating the gene, manipulating the hormones of children. I I think if you listen to us, that should be criminal. Right. I think we've been pretty clear that we don't have a problem with transgenderism. We do have a problem with the indoctrination starting in kindergarten. Yeah. Like you see in California, right? <clears throat> but to your point earlier, that's part of why we live in texas where we're where we can hopefully continue to keep that from being part of you know
0: preschool curriculum right mm-hmm. um, but more but so importantly this guy's podcast were you, were you finished with that thought, or was there more to more so? No, well I was just I guess
1: my main point was just to what you said was that he definitely um is a prominent voice in uh you know american Protestant christian circles and uh, absolutely you know argues that if you are a uh, taking a biblical worldview uh, you should be fighting all of these things to your dying breath and uh, I don't think that we're doing that I don't uh, necessarily agree with them, to be honest with you but I will say um, I don't see myself going to a church or taking my kids to a church where we have a transgender bishop uh, that being said if this transgender bishop is responsible for bringing thousands of new people into the faith i you got to take the bad with the good i guess right um that, that's just, that was just the take like <clears throat> it's contrary to your point i think that most of everybody listening right now is probably going holy crap where did this come from and as this we've said before very that's, different
0: from our normal
1: right uh, subject matter so but that's always been our original premise Right was not to just march this in. This is the step. most
0: justified pursuit. Faith.
1: I That's mean, right. Yeah, and, and wrestling with this sort of thing. And I, I, you know, I I do still believe in the idea that you know he created this man and woman in his image. He created this, right? Um, but he also created all these other scenarios, right? And, and anyway, man, um, I just thought it was like you said, worth. Uh, exploring, it was a justified pursuit. I don't, I don't know where I come down on it to be honest with you. I know that I still feel indoctrination on this front is bad. Um, I'll, I, I don't ever see a scenario where I'm convinced that meddling with children under the age of 18 biologically is, is okay. I certainly can say this. If you read that book, we've referenced, um, what was her name again? You just, you just mentioned uh, uh, Abigail Schreier, Irreversible Damage. Yeah, the Irreversible Damage book. book. She talks about how the medical profession, especially more in these more left-leaning communities, has adopted something called um, affirming care, uh, gender affirming care. In other words, she says there is no reference to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual as it you know pertains to transgenderism or gender dysphoria is the actual diagnosis, right? There is no tests. There is no, um, some of them do. Like she explains, there are good doctors out there who will counsel a patient for a year, year and a half, two before saying, okay, this child is clearly so hardwired this way that a major intervention is appropriate. You know, dude, I can't be the world police, right? If you're a parent, as a parent with of four daughters, if I spent three years from the ages of eleven to fourteen seeking every outlet that I could find, and I had doctors that I believed had our best interests at heart, and that's where they came to, I can't tell you where I would be today at that point, right? But I can tell you that the idea that doctors will tell you at the first council, or that school teachers, will undermine you behind your back to provide for hormone therapies and et cetera, and then threaten you with your child's suicide. If you don't comply that I'll never abide, right? There's something between screw it, make them wait till they're 18 and just give them the testosterone and don't worry about it. These are quote, uh semi reversible side effects that might be reasonable. But that's not, what, that's, that's not what I'm hearing from the activists on this front, right? Mm-hmm. What they're pushing is this idea of affirm, 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 no matter what, or they'll kill themselves. And that doesn't sound like good medicine. That doesn't sound like doing no harm, right? <clears throat> anyway. No. So I haven't changed on any of that. This was just an interesting conundrum. And it's a little different. You know, The other day we talked about the, the church in Illinois. I think it's a Methodist church that has the cross-dressing uh, specifically refers to himself as drag queen uh, pastor. That's 21 years old. Yeah. Um, I'll say these look different to me. Um, you know, they may be shades of gray, but you know, our main point with that, your main point with that was I don't see how a 21 or 22 year old person is prepared to run a flock. Right. And I agree with that hundred percent. And I, you know, I was going back through to make show notes the other day and you know, I made the point in there to me that's performative and taking away from the message, right? Well, this person, Bishop Rohrer is obviously pretty serious about this, uh, life choice that, that she made. Yeah. Dr. Megan Rohrer. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. It, It seems at least slightly different in this case than, than that one that that seems like it was just both from the the, the the drag queen guy's perspective and then the church's decision to promote a kid basically to that role uh versus this person coming up through i guess the west coast lutheran church and clearly being pretty committed having actually gone through these transition procedures anyway and none of it takes away from the fact that uh the world is a mess and to your point about Sodom and Gomorrah if the Old Testament is right and if God does decide that uh, all of this is a blot on humanity that has to be wiped out seems like we're getting closer and closer to the end of days than anybody would like to admit but
0: yeah so uh, here's a question on the pronoun thing why once you've transgendered to the the other sex that you want to be what are all these other pronouns then or aren't you just like
1: oh because there's just there's not just two
0: i know that's the where do these other like w- oh because you can be whatever you want there's people who identify as like
1: cats and like unicorns and stuff dude yeah there's people who don't want to be boxed into a gender so they want to call themselves something that they made up for real i'm not i'm not being a like smart Z ass and, or like and, joke I mean, yes I, all that all that is for people who call themselves non-binary
0: right and and well, to do your you point have a dick or do you not that's That's not... pretty binary. <laughs> Whatever. Dude. If you've got an appendage hanging between your legs, there, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. You can have to, a pretty idea of what you are.
1: To to your point, there is, and I think it was to Jordan Peterson's point. There is a there is a level at which, or a point at which, this becomes self indulgent nonsense. And I do believe that we have jumped the shark in that regard. Right. <clears throat> Everything I've talked Man about so far. The harbor. We're right. Sure. Every, everything that I've said throughout this podcast, as it relates to this bishop of the Lutheran church applies in the very narrow context of somebody who's actually born and, you know, and comes up as a child, truly crosswired as dis- as defined in the DSM under the category of gender dysphoria. Right. All that other nonsense, making up fake words to describe your non-binary status That is self indulgent snowflake crap. And it's hilarious because the damn communists have adopted this as a cause du jour when it's all about like wild ass, insane individuality. And that's the conundrum that I can't get my brain around. It's like, it's like we can all be whatever we want, but then we're all also in these boxes and we all have to like do the same thing, even though we can all do our own thing. And, uh, you
0: know, it's like, speaking of boxes, uh, we're almost out of time here, but the one thing that we didn't hit on was, did you see Texas zero COVID deaths Ah. for the first time since the pandemic started for, and we're talking about in a day we had, we had a day and what is Texas? The second most populated state behind California. I think it is. Mm, Yeah, it is. So second most populated state, zero deaths. Go look at California's deaths by day. Yeah. Yeah. They're not rocking a goose egg.
1: Damn Neanderthals. We're just, you know what? Biden
0: kiss our red blooded Texas asses. Because it turns out freedom isn't that dangerous. Yeah, well, you know what? I would
1: argue that, that freedom is dangerous, and so is life, and you know, getting in your car and like sure. uh you know, I won't sit here and pretend they both Governor Abbott and uh DeSantis. DeSantis were were relying on the quote science, the statistics, right? The information, and the point we've made since day one. People making their own decisions for their own personal Freedom. safety. Right. Well, or, you know, for their own safety. We talked about this. He, redu- he removed the, the statewide mask mandate, and we still saw masks everywhere for a while. Right. The I went CDC has removed the
0: soccer store to buy my kids cleats. They all three needed new cleats for upcoming indoor seasons. And I went in without a mask on. And the guy was like, sir, did you not see the sign? And I was like, oh, yeah, I saw it. I just didn't know we were still doing that. He was like, you have to wear a mask. And I was like, I bit my tongue because I, 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 I couldn't please. <laughs> no, because I believe in supporting small local businesses. And I, I was going to buy them on Amazon. Actually, Aaron was. And I said, you know what? Let's go to that soccer store and let's, let's support local businesses. And then he freaking did that. And I almost walked out and just said, I'm going to buy them on Amazon. Screw you. I, I, I bought them there because I wanted to support small local business. End of yeah. the story. Rather than Jeff Bezos. Right,
1: who is you know one of the biggest, I didn't know, appreciate most it. powerful leftists in America? So I guess what I'm getting at is, uh, <laughs> one way or another, you are going to be succumbing to uh, some level of this. So you might as well support the small
0: local business that asks you to wear a mask. Than but maybe he has immune disease, and he's I don't know what the circumstances are. Right. I, or maybe he's just living in fear, like so many other people. I don't know, but yeah, I thought it was a uh, thought it was interesting.
1: Well, back to the Kind of overriding note that you know we we've reached this awesome milestone. Um,
0: I had a thought, and it seems to have left me. It's definitely well, it's remarkable that you know we people can make their own choices. Who would have thought? You know, people can make the best choice that, the the choice that's best for them for their family. And going back to what we've always said, if you're high risk, take the precautions to right. protect yourself. And and I mean. Think about when we first started this, how crazy my family was because I have an asthma. And I was like, I don't want to get that and die. Like we're yeah. sanitizing freaking groceries and stuff like it was insanity. But once the once you learn the facts, realize, OK, uh, yeah, if you're old, if you have some pre-existing condition, if you're overweight, yeah, you probably should take necessary precautions. Otherwise, let the lev- l- let the rest of us live our lives. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What I, I know what I was going to get at in this to the point you're making. My hope and prayer is that this gets some notice uh, outside of our state, um, particularly in the places where they're still living in the clutch of this fear, right? If you go back to last week when the CDC finally announced that if you've been vaccinated, you can stop wearing your damn mask, you had people from all you know corners of leftist world saying like wait what we huh what changed i don't understand you know like and it's it's like guys what world were y'all living in what news were you looking to where you didn't understand that the whole point of the vaccine was to keep you safe and you know you, you would hear these people trying to defend the continued need for masking as well that's so that you if you're not wearing a mask don't jeopardize somebody else who's not wearing a mask so everybody has to wear a mask. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense. The, right. vac- the vaccinated people don't have to wear a mask if the vaccine works. And at this point, the vaccine is readily available to any American that wants it. There's no more age and you know, health concern cutoffs. Like We can all go get it. And so at this point, anybody who hasn't had the vaccine that wants to go out, I mean, don't get me wrong, there may be some you know, severely underprivileged communities, the m- main part of society. Can get the vaccine. So those of us who haven't are willing to accept the risk associated with going out in public without the mask. So we should all be good. And there's no, there's no logical way around that. And you could see it in these people trying to explain how vaccinated people have to keep wearing them so that unvaccinated people don't contaminate each other. It's like, that doesn't, what doesn't make any sense. Right. My point is when you look at the success of Florida and Texas, and despite the fact that from the president down to CNN, they tried like hell to make us all out to be you know death wish neanderthals yeah. that news on sunday was huge man and so so my wife you know was up there i know we got to get uh a few weeks ago up in dfw for her annual photography school and that's a nationwide thing people come from all over the country to it and so there was a lady in her class from new york and she's i think she was double masked to start pretty sure she told me she was double double masked,
0: masked, double vaxxed,
1: and vaccinated that's right (laughs) double vaccinated and double masked, right
0: you and
1: and you know so like the first day nobody really kind of talked about it and then like this she said this by the second or third day this lady started to open up and you know because you know she said two-thirds of the people in the class weren't masked about a third were right and everybody was just cool right like everybody the people who were wearing masks weren't getting harassed for wearing their masks and they weren't harassing the people who weren't and finally, this lady starts kind of talking about it. And she's like, so are y'all all vaccinated? Like, and they're like, you know, Ashley's like, I'm not. And, you know, a handful of other people weren't. And some of the people who were unmasked had been vaccinated. And that's why they were fine. Right. And but long story short, over the course of the week, this lady like came out of her shell and I think if I'm not mistaken, ditched her mask. I'm pretty sure Ashley told me that by Wednesday Welcome she had ditched her mask. That's right. And was she was like
0: this freedom lady
1: dude, blown away. She <laughs> was like, y'all have no idea how. Like if I go back to New York and I tell everybody that I hung out with y'all without a mask on, they'll freak out like you, you and we've You're all been ostracized. vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. But, but she was to your point, she was like reveling in the rational thinking that she was suddenly surrounded in and, and the, the freedom for people to make their own decisions. And, uh, you know, enough. So that only three days into five, she realized, why do I have to wear these stu- stupid masks? I've been vaccinated. What's yeah. the point of the vaccine? Like, It should. It it goes to show how uh, a mental contagion is the mental. I think I've said this before on the show. The mental contagion involved in all this is as virulent as the virus. Like to buy the notion that you got those shots and still need to mask for some greater good is is just silly. Yeah. You know. And and my hope is that as we continue to, uh, you know, have news like this that's undeniable. And, you know, commerce sort of comes back to normal and people flying in and out of Texas and they hear, you know, Joe Rogan talking about how, yeah, everybody's sort of free to do their thing that that the walls in places like California and New York where, you know, they're living in this, you know, this this chamber of hysteria will start to fall down and those people will start to realize that, oh, this was all just a crazy authoritarian leftist mind control trick. But
0: yeah, yeah. You know, well, I had one other note here and I posted the picture uh, I always go, not always, probably a couple times a week, I'll go to the Fox News website or CNN and just look at the headlines just to see what grabs me. And I'll do it every day because it just makes me angry. But this one was too good to pass up. And it was their their homepage from May 14th, and I screenshotted it. And the title is A Return of Sleepovers, In-Person Learning, and Soccer Games. Yeah. Soccer Games. Okay. Our kids went back to school. They did virtual – like. The, the school district said virtual learning the first two weeks, then, then in-person learning. Henry played his first baseball game in July of 2020. That's when I was like, okay, we're, we're we're no longer sanitizing groceries. We're not doing, you know, we'll wear a mask where we have to. We'll take the precautions. We don't want to get COVID. That time we hadn't had COVID, but I was like, he just put on that catcher's mask that those other four kids had. I was like, we're getting COVID. Uh, and then in-person sleepovers. Like my kids have had friends over ever since like the initial craziness of i don't know the first 2 months of lockdown yep. I, this is insanity i can't believe that half the country is is not playing no. soccer uh, not, dude
1: what it's it's exactly what i was talking about with my summer in dc where they live in a little bubble and they don't realize that there's a real big country out there one of my podcasts is the national review i think i've talked about it before but that's a i, w- I want to say something that aai institute from last week Um, they describe themselves as non-political, but most onlookers sort of refer to them as Mm center-right, and a lot of the contributors I know that have been there are center-right, but Mm -hmm. back to the point on National Review, they're staunchly conservative. They don't make any bones about it, right? It's a a conservative news organization and an opinion organization that has been since the 50s, I think. Um, So They they have this podcast called The Editors. There's a dude from Florida who's originally uh, from Great Britain, British guy named Charles C W Cook with an E. I'm 90% certain we're related somehow, Um, and then you know uh, two or three other people from the upper East Coast, including New York and D.C. Right, and to listen to them talk about this stuff is hilarious because Charlie the whole time is just always in his English voice, is like. I hear y'all talk about, you know, the CDC allowing you to finally go outside without a mask on. And it's just laughable to me because it's like nobody in Florida has done that ever. You know, <laughs> and everything's just fine. Right. And, and, and then the guys up the East Coast, you know, they're, they're annoyed by it, but yet they're reveling in their newfound freedom. And it's like, why didn't y'all just take a damn stand and say, no, this is stupid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, uh, but anyway. It was. It, it's a perfect that group in particular, because of the where they're from geographically, like perfectly nails the point you just made. Like that, there are pockets of this country who are oblivious to the fact. Well, it's it's like the statistic that Bill Maher threw out: forty percent of Democrats, according to the Gallup poll, believe you have a fifty percent chance of going to the hospital if you catch COVID. And he pointed out, Republicans get it right. It's a one to five percent chance of being hospitalized. Right. So almost half of Democrats think you have a coin flip chance. Of going to the hospital with this virus and that's never been the case it's never ever been the case going back to when we first found out about this but they got indoctrinated by oh that was a perfect example that we got to go but <clears throat> perfect example of a point i made last week about how they can lie to you without lying directly right through manipulation of data i think it was cnn or maybe it was the washington post had an article last week about how according to cdc statistics Um, The odds of contracting COVID outdoors are less than 10%. The actual statistic is less than 0.1%, less than 0.1% chance of contracting the virus outdoors. There has been zero cases where they weren't able to track it down to like a very close personal conversation being had, or like a stadium where you're packed shoulder to shoulder, right? Like, the odds are infinitesimally small that if you're outdoors, you can contract this virus and therefore wearing a mask outside is nonsense. But the way that it was referred Maybe to... We
0: have Joe Biden like two weeks ago saying, hey, if yeah, you're vaccinated, right. you, can wear, you can take your mask off outside. Right.
1: right. And 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 the, <laughs> the point of this article was to provide cover to Joe and the other leftists who said you needed to wear your mask outside even when you've been vaccinated. So they, they manipulated a 0.1% statistic and called it less than 10 (laughs) like wow i mean yeah give me a break
0: just blatant lying (laughs) um we gotta go gotta get out of here we do need to uh we we said we're gonna talk about human monkey stuff uh we didn't do that so we'll have to do that next week yep so uh thanks for tuning in to episode 31 of justified pursuit for chisholm cook i'm cable smith y'all have a great week leave us a rating and a review subscribe five star i'm like just a
1: five star that's right <laughs>